Pleasure to be out with you once again. Thank you for your presence. Uh, again, if you're visiting with us, we thank you for taking time to be with us on a Wednesday night and worship and serve the Lord and study a portion of His inspired Word. If you are a member here, you should be here. It's your duty to be here. But nonetheless, we thank you for the encouragement that you bring by simply being here. You can stir us up, each and one of us, to love and good words, uh, works by your presence here. I uh, want to again say a special thank you to Dan and Courtney Carlisle, who had uh, myself and Allison and Brother Bob Hutto over for dinner this evening. We had a fantastic time. Uh, they've been blessed with a lovely home. Uh, the food was delicious and uh, the, the company even better. We had a lot to laugh about and really enjoyed spending time with them. And I think I've made this comment about every service, but that's been one of the things I've enjoyed so much is spending time uh, with my brethren here. So I want to thank all of you collectively for either opening up your homes or taking me out to a restaurant. I just appreciate that so much. And to get to know you in a different setting and to spend some time together, we just need to do more of that. And this is a very special group here. Uh, Jacqueline and I have been here since I think August of 2000, so 19 years, and we've enjoyed every one of those. And so I want to thank each and every one of you for the good times and the encouragement, the edification. Uh, throughout this meeting, there have been several folks who have come up and offered some thoughts and some suggestions about the material that was covered. And I thank you. Uh, the sermons that I preach, uh, they continue to evolve because of the input of fo folks like you. So thank you so very much for the points and the illustrations, the examples and scriptures that you directed me to. And I'll certainly take that to heart the next time I have an opportunity to present uh, these lessons. We talk about what a special place this is. One of the things that has made this place so special over the years is that there has been a sense of unity uh, at the Oak Mountain Church of Christ. There has been stability and unity, not feigned unity, not artificial, uh, not forced unity, but unity around God's Word. And that's important. If there's nothing else that we see in the Scriptures when it comes to talking about God's people, God's people are to be a unified people. God's people are to work together. God's people are laboring together in the kingdom. They're trying to accomplish the work of God. And it's so important that we do so with a spirit of unity. If you've been around churches for any period of time, it's unfortunate that you must admit that you've seen the opposite of that. You've seen when churches split and divide. And the thing that bothers me so much is so many of the splits and divides don't have anything to do with doctrine. It's not a doctrinal difference. But if you drill down on it, you know, the groups that split apart, you got this group over here where they teach the same thing. This group over here, well, what's the difference? So many times, personalities. Personalities. People got uh, the, the, the spirit of Satan, if I want to be honest about it. You know, dispositional sin is just as wrong as any other kind of sin. And so our brethren sometimes, let's be honest, can be cantankerous. We can be unruly. We can be argumentative. And we can be the kind of petty people that instead of being unified and doing the work of God, we drive each other apart. We're divisive. And so it's so very important that we be unified. And I don't want us to take that for granted here at the Oak Mountain Church of Christ. I want us to work and labor towards unity. More importantly, God demands that each and every one of us here work and labor towards unity. Yes, to a certain extent, the elders have that responsibility. Yes, to a certain extent, the preacher has that responsibility. Yes, to a certain extent, the deacons have that responsibility. But might I suggest to you that every single member of this congregation has a duty to work towards unity. We need everybody. What's that old saying? All hands on deck. Everybody needs to be involved in the process of promoting unity. 
And I want to look at the Scriptures and see what does the Scripture say about unity. And there are a few better passages about that subject than 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, verses 1 through 17. And so, we will entitle the sermon tonight, uh, Recipe on Unity from 1 Corinthians chapters 1 through 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 through 3, but for the time being, we'll just read the first 17 verses of the first chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 1, uh, 1 through 17. 1 Corinthians 1. 1 through 17. The Bible says this, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes our brother, to the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of the Lord of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by Him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you are called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, verse 10. Now, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. And that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I have baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. And so, Paul pleads with them to have unity in the church at Corinth, to have no divisions among you, to have the same mind, to have the same judgment. He says there's a problem among you. There are divisions among you. There are contentions among you. You have factions among you. you got people that are splintering around preachers, uh, preachers that may have baptized them, or preachers that preach the gospel to them, preachers that maybe they had favoritism toward. He says you got one group over here says, well, we're of Paul, and you got another group over here, we're of Cephas, and over here we're of Peter, and, and we're of Christ. And he says, now wait a minute, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. He said, well, let me ask you, was Paul crucified for you? Rhetorical question. Answer, no. Why is all this division? Why are you getting caught up in men? Because that's the problem. He goes on to say, you know, I'm kind of thankful that I didn't baptize more people. Because you folks are so carnally minded, you're starting to form factions around who baptized you. He said, I didn't come to baptize. And you guys are getting caught up in this. What you ought to be caught up in is Christ. Who's the one that's crucified for you? Who's the one who's the Son of God? Who's the one who's the head of the church? There's no need for division. We don't divide amongst men. We unite around Christ. That's what he's saying. 
We need to make sure that we understand that Christ is the central part of our worship and service to God. It's not about men. It's not about us, which leads us to the first recipe for unity for 1 Corinthians chapters 1 through 3. The first recipe is don't elevate men beyond their proper place. Don't elevate men beyond their proper place. Again, go back to the text and look at all the warnings he makes on that point. Uh, verses uh, 12, 11 and 12. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? He said, these men are not important. These men are not the ones who draw you together. These men are not the one who died on the cross for you. It's not the blood of these men that cleansed you from sin. There's only one person that died for us. There's only one person who was crucified. There's only one person whose blood was powerful enough to cleanse us of all sin. Who was that? It was Jesus, the Son of God. So he says, you you don't elevate men. What you've done is you've taken men and put them in a pedestal in a way that's inappropriate. Do we do that sometimes? Sure we do. We do that sometimes. We get caught up in certain preachers and certain elders and certain teachers and certain personalities. And maybe we elevate them. Sometimes you hear this. We may be in a Bible class and we're discussing a subject and we're talking about what does the Word of God say on a certain subject. And instead of somebody citing book, chapter, and verse, well, old brother so-and-so said this. Well, why is that relevant? When we're studying the Bible, why is it relevant that a certain brother said a certain thing? Now, if you want to point me to the Word of God... You want to point me to some passage? You want to tell me what the inspired writer, uh, Peter or Paul or James said? Okay, now we're talking about what God has said. But when you quote another brother, that's meaningless to me. That's just another brother. That's men. That's elevating people. We should never quote men as authority for deciding what the Word of God is. I'm not saying you can't use illustrations. I'm not saying, but that's not authoritative. You know, we got to be careful sometimes, even when we, we talk about the restoration movement and restoration history. And, and we certainly do that. And I'm not saying that's inappropriate. I taught a class on it. Uh, but as I try to make the point in most of my lessons, the plan of salvation is not the plan of salvation because Barton W. Stone believed it was so. You don't have to know the first thing about Barton W. Stone, and you can know what the Bible says about the plan of salvation. And the plan of salvation is not so because Alexander Campbell believed that. The plan of salvation is not so because Thomas Campbell preached on it. You might know one whit, not anything about those men, but you know what the Bible says. We want to make sure that when we cite the Bible, that we cite just that, the Bible, not men. We don't want to get caught up. You know, we've seen some division sometimes that gets caught up when people are caught up in the cult of personality of a particular preacher. There's a preacher they really like. Oh, I like what that brother preaches. I like the way, the way he sounds. And, uh, I, and they become almost groupies. They just, wherever he goes, they're there. And then all of a sudden, maybe the man slips in some false doctrine. And instead of taking the Word of God, like we talked about last night, the spirit of the Brians, and taking the Scriptures and saying, now this brother said that, but the Scriptures don't say that, they get caught up in that. Why? Cult of personality. They like that man. They've elevated him above his proper place. Paul says, don't do that. Those men weren't crucified for you. 
Those men are not the central focus. The central focus is Christ. Let's keep reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 again, verse 14. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I have baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beside, I do not know whether I baptized any other, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. He says, look, I, I, I'm glad I didn't baptize more of you, you people. And somebody scratch their head and say, wait a minute, what's he saying? He's saying you guys are so carnally minded that you would get caught up in the person who administers the baptism and not Jesus Christ who made the baptism possible. He said, that, that's not why I came. I came to preach. I didn't come to baptize, and I certainly don't want you saying, ooh, Paul baptized me. <laughs> I'm something special. You know, sometimes we do that. We'll talk, oh, brother so-and-so baptized me. I was baptized by this brother. Man, he's been preaching the gospel for 40 years. That's not the focal point. The focal point is Christ died and shed his blood to make the plan of salvation possible. And it is through his blood you've been made whole. That's the one that deserves the praise, glory, and the honor. It's Jesus who made that possible, not the man who administered the baptism. Now, let me say this. Because somebody will jump on that and think about, hmm, last night you had a sermon. If a man is to be saved, must he be baptized? And some folk are kind of tempted to jump on this and say, see, I told you baptism wasn't required. I told you it wasn't necessary. Did you hear what Paul said? He said, I did not come to baptize. And so that means baptism is not important. No, no, that's not what that means at all. Because do you remember the Apostle Paul, that's the same brother who was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write in the same book, no less, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 13. Let's go over there and just remind ourselves of what we heard last night. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 13. 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, verses 12 through 13. We're talking about do not elevate men above their proper place as a part of the recipe for unity. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 13, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. And listen to verse 13. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. Paul wrote by inspiration that we get into the one body, the body of Christ, through baptism. And so he's not saying over here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that baptism isn't important. He's saying it's not important who physically administers the baptism. And because you're so carnally minded and get caught up on who put you on the water, I'm glad I didn't baptize more of you. That's what he's saying. He's not saying baptism is not important. It's absolutely essential. He knows that because he himself had to be baptized in order to be saved. We read that from Acts 22, uh, 12 through 16. But a good point he's making is, let's don't elevate men too highly. You know, sometimes we can get thinking like I did when I was a kid. When I was a kid, and uh, there were a lot of preachers who came through to Oak Ridge Church of Christ where I worship. And I guess, like a child, you, you start ranking guys. And so I had my favorites. I had what I, I called the, the Mount Rushmore of gospel preachers. And uh, in my Mount Rushmore, you'd have D. Bowman, uh, Robert Jackson, Sewell Hall, and Carol Sutton. You, you don't get any better than that, in my opinion, back then when I was a kid. 
Uh, I just thought the world of those gentlemen. And they were so powerful to me. And as much as I love the gospel, uh, I had to be honest, when those men came and when they announced the gospel, me and those men, I got a little more excited than normal. Let's don't be like a kid like that. Let's don't be immature like that. And I'm not saying we don't have people that we enjoy listening to. And some people can make the gospel uh, easier to own the ears than others. But we can't elevate men beyond their proper place. Because at the end of the day, what are they? They're just vessels. They're just vessels. Where does the power reside to move the hearts and the minds of men? It resides in God's Word. It's not about the presentation. It's not about the personality. It's not about the rhetorical techniques. It's about the Word of God. You remove the Word, somebody can have the rhetorical techniques. Somebody can be a so-called good speaker. That doesn't storm the will. That doesn't build faith. That doesn't save the soul. That doesn't edify and encourage. It's the Word of God. And we need to make sure that we support the preaching of the God's Word, regardless of the packaging, regardless of the presentation. If it's God's Word, it needs to be supported. Why? Because it's to be honored. It's God's Word. It needs to be respected. It's God's Word. It needs to be revered. It's God's Word. It needs to be studied. It needs to be obeyed. If a man gets up in front of you and preaches and teaches God's Word, good will be done. Not because of him, but because of the power of God's Word. Let's be careful that we do not elevate men beyond their proper place. There's a couple other passages on that. 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26-31. The Bible says this, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised God has chosen, and the things which are not. Why? To bring to nothing the things that are. Why? What's the purpose of that? That no flesh should glory in His presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, that as it is written, he who who glories, let him glory in the Lord. He says, look around. Look at your brethren. Look at your calling. Not many of the wisest people among the members of the Lord's church. Not many of the most noble among the members of the Lord's church. Not many of the mightiest ones among the members of the Lord's church. He says, why? Because there's a purpose in this thing. God has designed it so that you cannot approach God and have glory brought to yourself. If you're a person that is proud, that is boastful, that likes to be the center of attention, that wants people thinking about you and elevating you, he says the gospel's not for you. What's the purpose? He says that no flesh should glory in his presence. Let me think about that for a second. Here's God who made you in the first place. He created us, right? He gave us every ability we have, the ability to think. The ability to speak, the ability to have emotions, the ability to memorize, the ability to sing, the ability to play. Whatever it is we can do, God gave us that ability And then we're going to walk before him in pride when he's the one that gives us life, breath, and all things. It doesn't even make sense to be proud about something that what God gave you. 
Did you just create that? Well, you know, Kevin, I worked hard and I refined this ability and I I developed this ability and I studied and I did all this. Well, let me ask you this. Where did you get the ability to do all that? From God. How are you even here to do all that? Because God created you. How is your body able to do any of that? Got to have oxygen. Where did the oxygen come from? That's God. Everything we have comes from God. He says, I'm not going to tolerate men and women being proud in my presence. That doesn't make any sense. Whatever you can do pales in comparison to God. You've got nothing on God. And I like what he says, in his presence. See, that's the key point. When we go through life, quit comparing ourselves with one another. We look at one another and say, well, I can do this a little bit better than she can. And I can do that a little bit better than he can. And no, no, no. In God's presence, you have nothing to be proud about. Because even if you have a little more than somebody else, you've got nothing compared to God. And whatever you have, God gave it to you. You can't be proud in the presence of God. He says, he who glories, if you want to glory in something, glory in the Lord. That's a reference, a citation to Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24. Turn over there, Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24. If you want a recipe for unity, we can't elevate men beyond their proper place. Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24. Jeremiah the ninth chapter, verses 23 through 24. The Bible says this, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. You know, we have a tendency to glory in our strong suit. Whatever it is that we do very well, that we may do better than other people, we have a tendency to lean on that. We have a tendency to glory in that. We have a tendency to boast in that. We have a tendency to depend upon that. If uh, you're uh, a very gifted athlete and you're just phenomenal, whatever sport you pick up, baseball, football, uh, uh, basketball, you're just one of the best people because you're one of those gifted individuals. And people that are that way get a lot of praise and a lot of attention, and everybody thinks the world of them. And folks want to make concessions for them, do things for them. And all of a sudden it starts to go to people's head, hey, I'm a super athlete, and I get used to this treatment, and I get used to having people put me on a pedestal, and I start to expect that. I start to feel entitled. I start to feel above everybody else. I'm different. The rules don't apply to me. Or maybe it's your intellectual ability, your singing ability, whatever it is, we have a tendency to lean so hard on that for success in life. Because we say, well, look, this ability has brought me so far. It's done so many things. It's opened so many doors. And we lean on those things. And God says, that doesn't work in my kingdom. You can't lean on those abilities. You can't lean on those achievements. You can't lean on those talents. He said, you know, you want to glory in something? You want to depend upon something? You want to lean on something? Lean on the fact that you know me! Because <laughs> that's what it's all about in the final analysis. Do you know the Lord? If you don't know the Lord, all of those abilities, all of those things you can do will be meaningless on Judgment Day. And really, if we start to pull back, there are other reasons why you shouldn't spend so much time glorying in that stuff. Whatever it is you can do that's so wonderful, I guarantee you, there are other people that can do it better than you. Guarantee you. We can find some people. The world doesn't revolve around the state of Alabama. There are some people in the state of Tennessee. There are people in the state of Georgia. There are people in California. There are people in Utah that can do whatever you do better than what you do it. That's just the fact of the matter. And guess what? Most of the time, whatever those things are that we do 
Over time, let's be honest, we're not going to be able to do it as well as we did it once before. We start to fade. Bodies wear out. Uh, abilities are not as sharp as they once were. It's all temporary. That's why the Lord said, don't get caught up in that stuff. You get caught up in knowing me. Now, that, that doesn't change. I can be 80 years old, and I still know the Lord. And in fact, I may know the Lord even more now than I did when I was 20. It gets better, not worse. It ought to. He says, don't, don't elevate yourself. It's not about you. We get so caught up in ourselves. And our society is responsible for that. It just preaches and teaches about you and standing out and being different and excelling. And I'm not saying that the Bible suggests that we are to do things half-hearted. To the contrary, the Bible suggests you must do the best you can. But we're not doing that because we want to be special. We're not doing that because we want people to think we're great or we want to be popular or we want praise and we want honor and we want fame. No, we're doing that to bring glory and honor to God because that's the one to whom it belongs. I mean, you get to thinking about God for any significant period of time and you'll be ashamed that you were ever proud of anything that you did. It just doesn't make any sense because we're talking about the one who spoke into existence the entire universe and you want to be proud about what? So you can calculate numbers a little quickly. Wow, that's something else. So you're, you're a nice writer. You can throw a few words together. Wow. So you can throw a ball pretty good. Wow. How is that compared to the one who spoke into existence the entire world? Not much by any stretch of the imagination. We need to be careful not to elevate. And when we come to within a congregation, we need to be careful that we don't elevate men too highly. Now, we have elders and we have preachers, and, and that's wonderful. That's the way it should be, according to the gospel. But even with our elders and preachers, they are still men. And I'm not suggesting anything. Don't, think, don't read anything into this. Don't know anything about Brother Bowen or Brother Holcomb that I'm saying. But in the end, they're men. And they are not right because they're the elders. They're right when they say things and they do things that are consistent with God's Word. They are just as accountable to God's Word as anybody here. And we don't say, well, the elders said we got to do it, so I'm just not going to question it or not. The elders said it was okay. The elders blessed it. The preacher said it was okay. I'm not trying to foment rebellion. I'm not trying to get an ins- a revolution. I'm just saying, folks, that everybody is accountable to God's Word. And the Bible speaks of preachers being out of line, of elders being out of line. We just need to be careful that we never elevate anyone above their proper place. Now, let me say this. Sometimes brethren will take a sermon like this or take a lesson like this or take these principles and they'll swing the pendulum too far the other way and say, well, we, we, we can never praise anybody. We can never hold anybody in high esteem. We can never compliment anybody. That's not what the Scriptures teach either. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 25 through 30. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 25 through 30. We need to not elevate men above their proper place. Philippians, the second chapter, verses 25 through 30. Philippians chapter 2, verses 25 through 30. The Bible says, Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. Since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick almost unto death. But God had mercy on him and not only on him but on me also lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly that when you see him again you may rejoice 
and I may be less sorrowful. Now I want you to listen to verse 29. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem. Why? Because for the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Epaphroditus was a special brother. This was a brother that was so committed to God, so committed to Paul's well-being, that despite his sickness, he laid it all on the line, almost died. And what did Paul say about such men? Men is plural. Epaphroditus would be one, but there are others. What did he say? Hold such men in high esteem. Hold them in esteem. What does that mean? We can praise them. We can respect them. We can think highly of them. So don't swing the pendulum the other way and say, well, don't ever praise a brother. Don't ever give him an attaboy. Don't ever say anything nice about him. Don't ever hold him in esteem. No, the Bible says it is appropriate to hold men such as Epaphroditus in esteem. But we still need to keep men in their proper place. Let me give you a second recipe for unity from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 through 3. The first or the second recipe is this. Do not be carnally minded. Do not be carnally minded. If you will, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. You want a recipe for unity. We don't elevate men beyond their proper place, but also do not be carnally minded. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 4, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal as to babes in Christ, I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you're still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? That's why I said the second recipe for unity, do not be carnally minded. He said, you folks are not spiritually minded. You're worldly minded. You're thinking about carnal things. He said, I can't even feed you with food. You're not ready yet. You need to grow up in Christ. You need to be spiritually mature in your thinking. And I know you're not spiritually mature because when there's envy and there's strife and there's division, there is no spiritual maturity among that. Friends, we've got to quit being carnal-minded. Sometimes we forget this is a special uh, group of people. This is the Lord's people. We are called. We are sanctified. We are special. And we need to act like it. We don't have any place in the Lord's church for envy. How many times have we seen churches get broken up because people are jealous of one another? Jealous of their jobs. Jealous of their financial standing. Jealous of their wives. Jealous of their husbands. Jealous of their kids. Jealous of their abilities and talents. We don't have any room for that. There should not be any envy and being jealous and strife and division. There should be humility and harmony and love and peace. We should rejoice with those who rejoice. You've got a brother and sister in Christ who's doing well. You rejoice in that. Don't be jealous because you're not doing as well. You've got a brother that's able to get a new car. Rejoice with him. Don't get mad because you can't afford one. Just because their kids are doing better than your kids, that's okay. Rejoice. Don't be jealous. Looking over in there with a sly eye, there's no room for that. We're working together. We're, we're about love. 
We're about unity. We can't be carnally minded. We have people that, 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 that keep score. They keep score. People like, well, when I was, when I was sick and in the hospital, nobody came to see me. Or uh, there's only about five or ten brethren that, that came to see me. But when so-and-so over there was sick, the whole congregation went to see them. And everybody brought them food and sent them cards and, and just, but what about me? Nobody came to see me. That's carnally minded. We're not keeping score. We're not comparing how many cards did you get versus how many cards that sister got. That's petty, folks. We're supposed to be spiritually minded. Don't think like the world. That's the way the world, the world's always trying to keep score. The world's always looking for a basis to one-up one another. This is not the world. This is Christ. This is Christ's people. This is not a competition. I'm not trying to outdo you. I'm not trying to get more attention than you. I'm not trying to be more popular than you. I'm trying to serve the Lord. And that's what you're trying to do. There's no place for envy. There's no place for strife. There's no place for that kind of division. And I'm sorry, so many times when we have division, the root of it is carnality. Carnal minds. Like the carnal minds that Paul warns about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We've got to be spiritually minded. We talked about this a little bit yesterday. Colossians 3, 1 through 3. Turn over there. Colossians 3, 1 through 3. Colossians, the third chapter, 1 through 3. Part of the recipe for unity from 1 Corinthians 1 through 3 is to not be carnally minded. 1 Corinthians, or Colossians 3, I'm sorry, Colossians 3, 1 through 3, the Bible says, If then you were raised with Christ, and we established that that was those who have been baptized into Christ. So if you're a member of the Lord's church, if you've been baptized into the one body, if then you're raised with Christ, Seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. He says, if you are a person who's in the body of Christ, think like it. Think on spiritual things. Think on the spiritual ramifications of your action. Think about the spiritual consequences of your action. Everything you do, when I speak to a brother and sister, how can I edify? How can I build up? I don't want to destroy. I don't want to harm. How can I make this brother and sister firmer on the path to godliness they need to be on? How can I help them along the way as they strive to get to heaven? I'm always thinking about the spiritual consequences of my actions, of my thoughts, of my words, how I dress, every aspect. How is this going to benefit spiritually my brothers and sisters in Christ. Is that the way we're thinking? Or do we just come in and say, I'm going to do whatever I want to. Or we just go act like people of the world. We just, those attitudes that we work with, those attitudes we go to school with, those attitudes we see on television and we hear in our music and we see on the big screen, we just bring it right into the Lord's church. There's no room for that here. We're spiritually minded. We're looking at how do these things we do and we say affect the souls of myself and those around me? And that's a much different way to look at things. And so, yes, maybe somebody says something here that annoys you. Maybe somebody has a habit here that gets on your nerves. Don't act like people of the world. Rise above it. Rise above it. It's, it's okay. But spend some more time. You may, you may learn why that person is that way. We all have different personalities, right? And we have different strengths and weaknesses. And just because somebody is not as strong in an area as you are, you don't have to despise that person. You shouldn't be looking down your nose at that person. Enjoy their company. Enjoy their strengths. And they've got some strengths you don't have and vice versa. We've got to, we've got to be forgiving to our brothers and sisters in Christ, right? Maybe a brother or sister says something. They didn't mean anything by it. 
but you take it as a grudge. You know, I, I, there, there have been brothers, there have been churches, I'm not exaggerating, churches where something happened, somebody didn't speak to somebody, somebody didn't shake somebody's hand, somebody didn't come to somebody's wedding, and somebody will bear that grudge for decades after that event. Now, you would think I'm talking about people of the world. I'm talking about people in the Lord's church. Makes no sense. That's being carnally minded. We, we don't operate that way. We need to forgive. We need to be tolerant. We're not trying to one-up each other. There's no competition here. We're all in this thing together. I'm trying to help you get to heaven. You're trying to help me get to heaven. Paul says you can't be carnally minded. You've got to be spiritually minded. Look at Matthew 6.33. Matthew 6.33 is the kind of mind that we need to have. Instead of being carnally minded, how about we be Matthew 6.33 minded? Matthew 6.33, Jesus says, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, that all these things shall be added to you. What's the most important thing to you in your life? It's the rule of God. The kingdom of God. God's rule. You want to see God's rule being protected. You want God's rule being defended. You want God's rule to be strengthened. Everything you do is filtering through what's in God's best interest as revealed in the Scriptures. And I'm going to do my best to help that. And so that changes some things, right? That changes some things. I was talking one time to my dad, and he was talking about a particular day that uh, he was tired and really just felt like he wanted to relax. And there's a brother who asked him to do something, and he really didn't want to do it. You know, and he really just wanted to rest and relax, but he got to think, you know, that brother just lost his wife recently. And that brother needs some support. He needs a friend. He needs a shoulder to lean on. And so you know what he did? He put the brother's spiritual interest above his physical interest to get some rest. And he went out and spent some time with the brother. And he enjoyed it and the brother enjoyed it. That's what I'm talking about. Being spiritually minded. Making sacrifice. We may not always feel like doing it. We may not always think, ah man, I really want to do something else. But things pop up and you say, you know what? I need to be there for that brother and sister. I need to be there at that funeral. I need to be there at that wedding. I need to be there by their side. I need to go visit them in the nursing home. I need to visit them in the assisted living. Be there for people. It takes sacrifice. It takes time. Yes, it might be inconvenient to your schedule. But that's what love does, right? We're not worried about my convenience. I'm talking about the spiritual consequences. Because I tell you, when you go see a brother and sister like that, you spend some time with them, you break bread with brothers and sisters in Christ, it builds the spirit. It encourages people, especially people who can't get out. People can't get out. They can't just like you and I, we, just, we want to socialize. We just go where we want to. Or maybe we work with people, we socialize. But if you're shut in, you can't go. The only way you get contact is if those people come to you. Do we visit the shut in? And folks, I, I'm talking to me as much as anybody because I'm not where I need to be on this. I'm too busy. I'm doing this, that, and the other. Well, then you need to slow down, brother. You need to make some time for your brethren. Make some time. Why? Because that encourages people. Be spiritually minded. Don't be carnally minded. Don't be caught up in the cares and the riches and the affairs of the world, as the parable of the sower tells us. Be caught up in what is in the best interest of God's kingdom. What's in the best interest of God's people. Don't be carnally minded. Third part of the recipe for unity is this. Glorify God. Glorify God. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 30-31. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 30-31. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 30-31. Glorify God. 
1 Corinthians 1, 33, But of Him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, that as it is written, He who, is, who glories, let him glory in the Lord. And then I want you to pop down to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4-5. through 5. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of the power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. We need to learn how to glorify God. We need to give God the glory and the credit. We need to make sure that it's not about us, but it's about God. When we come to worship services, don't be saying, well, the worship service isn't dead, and it doesn't do this for me, and it doesn't really get me fired up, and the singing is not what it ought to be, and uh, the Bible class teaching is not where I think it needs to be, and the preaching isn't what the quality I'm used to. No, no, no. You're coming to serve God, not yourself. That's a different attitude. We didn't ask whether, you know, people, a lot of people, when they talk about services, they talk about what it does for them. We got it backwards. Worship is, not, worship is directed to God. And we're supposed to get benefit from giving it to God. But God says, your benefit is not the number one aim. You're supposed to praise and glorify me. It's all about God. It's not about us. And we got to get that thinking. You come prepared to give glory and honor to God, not to yourself. This is not entertainment hour. It's not, well, tickle my ears. Tell me something that keeps me inspired and makes me feel good and makes me walk out the door, you know, with a little extra pep in my step. No, we came to glorify God. Now, you ought to be edified by that. You ought to be built up by the Word of God spiritually, but the aim is not for you to feel good. The aim is to glorify God. Give God the glory and the honor and the credit. And so when we have disputes and we have disagreements, we need to think, now, what's going to be the best interest of glorifying God? I don't want to get into the way of the glory that God is entitled to. When we have disputes among brethren, we have disagreements. We want to do so with a spirit, with a manner, with a disposition that gives glory to God. And not gives glory to ourselves. Not, I got to get my way. Not, that's not right. Not, that brother did me right, I'm getting him back. Not vengeance, not pettiness. No, no. It's all about God. Give him the glory and the honor. And when something good happens, when we have baptisms, when we have growth in the body, when we see young people start to walk on their own two spiritual legs, who gets the credit for that? Mom and dad, who gets the credit for that? Bible class teachers, who gets the credit for that? Elders, who gets the credit for that? Preachers, no, God. God gets the credit for that. Everybody else is just a vessel. Again, I'm not trying to knock anybody down or hurt anybody's feelings, make anybody feel bad. That's just the truth of the matter. We are just vessels. Don't get caught up in yourself. Get caught up in God. That's what it's all about, a recipe for unity, glorifying God. I see that our time has come to an end. Oh, Jason Reed warned me. He said, man, you can't go 15 minutes on Wednesday night. Over 15 minutes over. So we're not going to go 15 minutes over. But I want you to study 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 17. Spend a little more time on that. Great recipe for unity. We need to be careful. We don't elevate men beyond their proper place. We need to make make very careful study of ourselves and our mentality. Make sure we don't have a, a carnal mind and make sure that first and foremost, as we worship, as we interact with one another, as we discuss scriptural things, sometimes we're going to disagree on some of the passages. Let's work, though, towards having, what did the scripture say? The same mind and the same judgment. Let me say this. I actually believe that's possible. I believe 1 Corinthians 1.10 is possible. I think we can have the same mind and the same judgment. I know some people, older people, have always told me all my life, that's not possible. When you get older, you'll figure out otherwise. I've just never bought that. 
I believe that we can understand God's revealed will. Now, I believe we can't understand the secret things of God. And that's where people get in a lot of trouble. They start speculating and they get away from the revealed will. If you're over in the secret things of the Lord, well, we're never going to agree on that because none of us knows that. <laughs> had not been revealed. But what God has revealed, I believe we can know. And you say, well, Kevin, for years people have debated this and debated that. Guess what? Let's keep studying. Let's keep studying. I'm not giving up. I don't know about y'all. I'm not giving up. We're going to keep studying. We're going to study. We're going to study some more. Until we both understand what God has said. I don't believe God gave us a word that cannot be understood. God who knows our minds and created our minds. And you say he gave us a word, but he created it in such a way that nobody could understand it the same way. I don't believe in that God. It makes sense to give a revelation that nobody can understand. What makes sense is let's get down and let's dig it out. And let's spend some time. But let's do it with humility. Let's do it being industrious. Let's do it not with a carnal mind, but a spiritual mind. Let's do it glorifying God in the process. And we can keep the unity that we've had at this congregation for so many years. If anyone's here not a Christian, we don't encourage you to become one. We want you to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ because if you do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ and you either die or the Lord comes back, you have no hope for eternity. I'm talking about hellfire. Let's call it what it is. Don't try to be politically correct and try to smooth things over. If a person dies outside of Christ, they will burn for all eternity in hell. That's what the Bible teaches. But here's the good news. God wanted otherwise. God wanted otherwise so bad that he gave up his own son to die on the cross who had done no wrong. And let him be crucified by men with lawless hands, evil men. Why? Because he loved us so much and he knew that that blood was the only thing that can wash away sins. That blood is the only thing that can bring us into fellowship with God. That's the only thing that can bridge the divide created by our sins is the blood of Jesus. He loved us that much, folks. There's not been a greater love than that. And because of that, we can do what? We can obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. You say, what does that mean to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ? I've heard that phrase. I don't know what that means. Hear the gospel message. And when you hear that message, what do you do with it? You can't just keep it there. You've got to do something with it. You've got to believe it. You've got to have faith, all right? You believe that message, and then that faith compels you to do something. When you look at Hebrews 11, it tells you uh, the biblical faith is an obedient faith, is an active faith. It's a faith that responds. It's a faith that does something. So the faith we're talking about will motivate you to repent of your former way of life. And the faith that we're talking about will motivate you to confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And the faith that we're talking about will motivate you to what? To be baptized into Christ. And we're not talking about sprinkling. And we're not talking about pouring. And and let me tell you why we're not talking about that. The Bible doesn't talk about sprinkling and pouring. Because when the Bible talks about baptism, you you look at the Greek word baptizo, not Church of Christers, not Barton W. Stone, Thomas Campbell, and Alexander Campbell, but people that, that couldn't care less about what your religious affiliation is, they will tell you that the word baptizo means to be buried. Buried. So if I'm baptized, I'm buried with Christ, as Romans 6, 1 through 4 says. That means I've got to be buried in the water. And when I get buried in the water, I contact the blood of Jesus Christ that washes away all my sins. I come up out of that water grave of baptism. What a new creature in Christ. I am a new vessel. I'm a new person. And I have a new lease on life. I have a new purpose. I have a new uh, 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 function. What I'm all about is, again, what? Luke 19, 10. The Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. And so whatever brought Jesus down here is what becomes my life's goal. I'm seeking and saving those who are lost. 
And in the process, what have we said? First Timothy four sixteen, Paul told Timothy, "Take heed unto yourself." What we don't want to do is to teach the correct doctrine and spread the correct gospel, but then we live an ungodly life. And when we live an ungodly life, it makes it hard for people to obey the gospel that we're preaching and teaching because our life gets in the way of the gospel. Many times people will judge the message by the messenger. Get yourself out of the way. How do you do that? By living right. When you live right and you teach right, God told Timothy through Paul, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. You see that? If you're here and you're not a Christian, why not make your soul right tonight? We've gone through this whole meeting. You've heard the gospel invitation every single time we've come together. But for some reason, you haven't responded. Why? Why have you not responded? Is it, is it, are you fearful? Is it cowardice? Is it shame? Is it embarrassment? Is it, what is it? Tradition? Is it, I don't know what this means for my parents. I don't know what this means for my grandparents. I don't know what this means for my coworkers. Is it fearfulness? I don't know if I can do that. I don't know. I think I'm going to fail. I'm not ready. What is it that's holding you back? Whatever it is, cast it off tonight. Tonight, you need to be saved. Tonight, you need to be safe in the arms of Jesus. And the only way you can do that is obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then you start that wonderful work. You grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Every day, getting closer and closer to God. Every day, getting better and better at doing what God wants you to do. Let me tell you, folks, you can do it. Because God says in His Word that you can do it. God's Word thoroughly equips us unto every good work. Whatever God wants us to do, the Bible equips us to do it. There's not a soul here who can't do it. So my question is, why not tonight? Why not make your soul right tonight? Why not obey the gospel tonight? Why not become a Christian tonight? If anyone's subject to that invitation, we ask you to come forward as we stand and sing.